Is it gambling or a game of skill? Is it a shadowy, scandal-ridden venture that exploits regulatory loopholes to prey on the nation's most vulnerable, including its youth? Or a wholesome, high-tech, highly controlled outlet for what's been described as America's fastest-growing pastime? It's called Daily Fantasy Sports, or DFS, and whatever else it may be, it's an estimated $2 billion industry that enjoys the backing of some of the country's biggest professional sports leagues and franchises. Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and this is Indiana Lawmakers. Later in the show, during our commentary segment, we'll assess the week's dramatic developments regarding the proposed extension of civil rights protections to the LGBT community. But for our roundtable discussion, we'll stick with our plan to look at the General Assembly's attempt to regulate and to a certain degree cash in on businesses such as FanDuel and DraftKings. First up, this scouting report from Christopher Ayers of WFYI Public Media. As sports fans rev up for what's arguably the biggest Sunday in sports, lawmakers at the State House are gearing up for a debate over fantasy sports. This conversation, however, isn't about which quarterback a certain legislator is thinking about picking in his or her fantasy draft. Instead, lawmakers will be considering how they might deal with the rise of daily fantasy sports and the companies that rake in reams of revenue from the scores of fans eager to play. Daily fantasy websites offer average fans the opportunity to win cash prizes by participating in fantasy games, which require entry fees or wagers. Some of those prizes for the biggest games range from six to seven figures. The sites, like FanDuel and DraftKings, have existed for just a few years but an aggressive ad campaign early last fall led to an explosion in their popularity and has caught the attention of many state regulators. The daily fantasy companies argue their products are a game of skill. Some officials, however, say there's little that differentiates the fantasy sites from run-of-the-mill casino gambling in games like poker and blackjack. The attorney general in New York, where DraftKings is based, has even attempted to shutter the company. That prompted one Indiana lawmaker to issue a letter letting DraftKings know they'd be welcome in the Hoosier state. Legislation introduced this session would regulate the practice of daily fantasy sports in Indiana, but it would not classify the games as a form of gambling. But with this session at its halfway point and plenty of work left to be done, now's probably not the best time to place any bets on how or if this issue will be resolved. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Christopher Ayers. Thanks, Christopher. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue startups speak modalities, helping children and families coping with nonverbal autism to develop communication skills, helping people changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. The federal government's Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act carves out an exemption of sorts for daily fantasy sports in that it prohibits the electronic transfer of funds only for those activities defined as illegal gambling by individual states. Some states have remained silent on the issue, some are investigating the industry, and others have effectively banned the online contests. Some Hoosier lawmakers, meanwhile, see daily fantasy sports as an economic driver, especially for the state's casinos and off-track betting operations. Joining me to talk about what's at stake are Republican Representative Alan Morrison of Terre Haute, the author of legislation to harness daily fantasy sports in Indiana, Matt Bell, a former state representative and former chair of the Indiana Gaming Commission, who now leads the Casino Association of Indiana, Matt Whetstone, a former state representative who now heads the government relations firm 1816 Inc., 
and Jerry Long, Executive Director of the Indiana Council on Problem Gambling. Gentlemen, thank you for uh, being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Let's get a scope, uh, a feel for the scope of daily fantasy sports in Indiana. We keep hearing the figure one million Hoosiers play this. Sure. Is that is that really the case? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when we talk about daily fantasy sports, we could also talk about fantasy sports, and I think we all know somebody who is participating in fantasy sports on a pretty regular basis. So, uh, um, but the daily fantasy sports industry has exploded, as we have all seen, and and there's a lot of Hoosiers playing it. Has this been going on for years? I know you've been interested in this at least for a year or. Uh, year or more or is this a result of that advertising blitz that we all saw at the beginning of the NFL season? I'd say daily fantasy sports is something that's newer. Uh, it's certainly been going on for maybe up to a decade but the explosion has happened in the last two years. And you represent uh, the casino industry. How does this relate to traditional casinos? Well our Indiana casinos have truly been drivers of economic development across our state. Remitting over $12 billion in taxes to the state of Indiana since our inception, employing tens of thousands of Hoosiers, 92% of folks employed in casinos in Indiana are Hoosiers. So when we talk about economic development, driving local economic development, we think that our properties have really done so. Uh, but clearly, there's a market that, that, that uh, Representative Morrison is recognizing and tapping into. You know, a study was released this week by the American Gaming Association that says $4.2 billion dollars will be wagered on the Super Bowl this weekend, 97% of which will be wagered illegally. I think what Representative Morrison is trying to do is to say that this activity needs to be regulated, needs to be, protect, needs to be properly conducted, and, and that Hoosiers need to have the assurance that when games are played in the state of Indiana, they're played fairly, equitably, there's a body that can regulate them, and they can trust in the integrity of the game. And whether those are played under the auspices or, or as sponsored by casinos, traditional casinos, as the bill suggests, or I guess directly from the uh, the providers them, themselves. Yeah, I think from our from our members' perspective, you know, there there are two really key points to us. One is that this activity needs to be regulated. We work in the most highly regulated industry in the state, and that makes us a better industry. Um, so we want to see this practice regulated. Secondly, um, it shouldn't be anyone's exclusive province. You know, we have great operators in the state of Indiana. So if this is to be uh, recognized as a legal activity in the state. We believe that those properties who've invested in Indiana communities and who've hired Hoosiers ought to have the opportunity to, to participate if they so choose. Well, Matt Whetstone, you represent uh, sort of the trifecta, both uh, FanDuel and DraftKings uh, Draft and the association, the trade association. So uh, you've, you've got your fingers into this. You have, for instance, the NBA, which has an Indiana presence, sponsoring uh, FanDuel, correct, or investing, I should say, in. And then in reverse, you have FanDuel sponsoring the Colts and the Pacers. I mean, has this become so intertwined it would be hard to even yeah, pull it out now? Great corporate partners all the way around. And, uh, you know, our companies uh, take great pride in the product they offer and the platform they offer. Uh, I think what Representative Morrison has done is, is uh, allowed, of course, nationally it's 60 million plus, Indiana a million plus people to have an opportunity to go out and compete with their friends on a weekly basis. Uh, we have season-long, obviously, as well as, as daily within the association. So uh, it's a great platform to get out there. And our companies uh, really want to make sure that consumers know what they're playing, know what their rights are, know what their protections are. And that's what this bill you know, pretends to do, is to try and make sure that we understand that in Indiana, you can do daily fantasy sports, fantasy sports in general. We don't have to worry about any other entity, an AG or a court maybe, determining this. We want the legislature to decide what those regulations are and make the policy for Indiana. 
not let it up to some court or some other venue. So this bill is really about ensuring that folks are comfortable that they can play and putting those consumer protections in place. Spoken like a former legislator, right? Get those uh, <laughs> judges out of the way. Jerry Long, I mean, I know you uh, can't really say whether you're supportive or uh, uh, opposing actually, to... I, I can. Or, oh, you yeah, can? We, we uh, take a neutral position on gambling as long as it's legal. On legal. So uh, let's get to this notion of this explosion. Are you seeing greater demand for addiction services and treatment as a result of what has been described, again, as an explosion well, of people. Yesterday I looked at the most recent uh, data for the state's uh, problem gambling helpline, and, uh, you know, actually uh, younger folks, that number is increasing as a percentage of the folks calling, and I, I think that's, you know, tied to the poker all-stars. We went through that for several years where that was, you know, the big thing that, you know, college kids were getting involved in, and now this is the next big thing. For people who are concerned about this, they say that the current uh, controls, if you will, that require, in theory, an individual or a player to be 18 are somewhat difficult to enforce. Uh, well, with, with the Internet, you know, there's no way of telling how old someone is. You know, they can be borrowing their uh, parents' uh, IDs to play games on the internet so and that's not limited to daily fantasy sports right, right? yeah and that's that's, that's really just a platform challenge yeah, yeah. And, and yet that's one of the things that uh, I know you're addressing what is it you want to do with this is this consumer protection or is this economic generation or both sure it's a little bit of both it and, and a couple things and I'll go back to something Jerry said as well but yeah the, the crux of the bill is consumer protection we want Hoosiers to know that they're playing on an even playing field with a legitimate provider um, we all talk about DraftKings and FanDuel, but they're 95% they're of the industry, but there's about another two or three dozen companies out there that are doing this. So, you know, when we talk about giving our brick-and-mortar licensed facilities an opportunity to offer this entertainment uh, package, it, it won't necessarily, probably, I, I obviously can't speak for DraftKings or FanDuel, but it, I would see it being one of these smaller companies that's going to try to get a foothold and try to build their clientele within in Indiana. Jerry touched on something and more young people calling the hotline. And, and I, I think what we have to realize is that the way that people entertain themselves, whether it's through gambling or other entertainment, uh, you know, uh, uh, packages, so to speak, is changing. And millennials, it, all we have to do is look at, look at our, our millennial generation, and they're like this all the time, right? It's all right here. And uh, the, way that, the way that we had fun is not the way that they're having fun. So we have to, as a state, recognize that and realize that as we move forward and when we talk about economic development, it cannot be the way that we did it back in the 80s and the 90s. Well, and to your point, I mean, culturally, that, 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 that ship has sailed. So yes. I love to listen to ESPN Radio in the morning. Yeah. Great, great show, Mike and Mike, right? Mike Greenberg will talk about you know, playing fantasy sports with his son every morning who's 12. So this is, a, I mean, you know, I think it is important that there are protections in place because folks are interacting with these activities at a younger and younger age. And I think to your credit, and one of the things that, that our association members appreciate, is that there seems to be a real commitment to making sure that those who are partaking in the game are of age, are doing so legally and responsibly, and we think that's incredibly important. We also believe, as supporters of the Indiana Problem Gaming Council, that, that your commitment to combating problem gaming uh, will be a very important footprint that you leave in the state of Indiana. We, we really hope to count on you as a partner in that effort. I mean, let's stick with this age thing. How do you? How, I mean, again, you represent Matt uh, Whetstone, the, uh, the industry, the key players in the industry. 
uh, and I know they've struggled with this. There's a, a fine print, you know, you can't do this if you're under 18, and in another place, uh, one of the others, you check the box if you're 18. Yeah. There's is a that sophisticated algorithm. I mean, yeah. it's almost like the platform itself. I mean, they have ways through the technology of trying to ensure that everybody that plays meets the, both the letter of the law and the 18-year-old age. But is it going to be any different with if this legislation is enacted? I mean, or would it be same old, same old in terms of those algorithms and so forth? Well, I think the message I've received is those are changing every day. We're finding new ways as people create new ways to both uh, transact with us and, and interact with us. We find new ways every day to ensure the people that we're serving and the people we're supposed to serve. And we went on, and in this bill and, and the companies in general have also gone on to give a self-exclusion opportunity uh, to allow folks to, who may think they have an issue to self-exclude, much like they have in the casino industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so taking those consumer protections to make sure we're serving the right people, they're the right age, and that they're doing things properly is really important to these two companies. And is 18 the right age? I know that's the sort of the national standard, but uh, Indiana, the Senate, which of course now is touted as the second legislative body uh, to enact regulatory language, one week, I guess, uh, thereabouts after California's state assembly did mm -hmm. the same, both have to go obviously in both states to the other chamber. But the California legislation says 21 if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jerry Long, it, it, would that be preferable to uh, make it 21? You talked earlier about young hey, people. I mean, you know, I, I would say it'd be preferable. You know, you, you know young, young folks think they're uh, bulletproof and, uh, you know, they get involved in things that they, uh, they overestimate their ability to control. And, you know, the problem gamblers, uh, the action gamblers, uh, and, that, and that's what these folks well, you know, w would be, uh, you know, gamble for the excitement. And, you know, you know I think that that's what you get out, out, out of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, you see articles, uh, you know, in the newspaper that uh, some student at IU is making, you know, $40,000 uh, while a student uh, playing fantasy football, you know, we, or fantasy, yeah, whatever. And, and we saw that with the poker, poker all-stars where someone uh, young won you know, one of the big competitions, and that just sort of pulls folks in. Yeah. Just, uh, I think you've got to remember, though, there's chance in everything, but this is a game of predominant skill. And so a lot of the folks, students included at these universities who are playing it, they're math kids, they're science kids, they understand algorithms, they understand how to... Have you, met my, have you met my kid? Uh, he, he <laughs> just, just dropped calculus, yeah. taking a page from his dad's playbook. Yeah. I might argue on that skill thing. It's perceived skill. They perceive that you know they, they uh, have sufficient data to uh, you know make a put together a good team and be the more, successful. Yeah. The more time you put in, but it, but if that you know if that was doable, you'd have computers. Somebody with a computer program, maybe you do now. Right. Yeah, putting your team together. Yeah. But, but so you, uh, Jerry, may think this is a game of, of chance. But I'm guessing the other three uh, have either arrived at this position now or yeah. uh, have recently. And I, I don't want to put nope, people on fine. the spot, but that's kind of my job. As recently as three months ago, Representative, you were quoted as saying, "You know, this looks like gaming to me. And if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's gaming." It hasn't. The industry hasn't changed. So your opinions sure. have clearly changed. It's called education. Right, and so the more I, I, I delved into this and, and really tried to understand how it works and, and why, uh, I think it's clearly a, a game of skill, and, and we can we can certainly talk about different nuances. But you know, the the, the way if you want to talk about the house, the the money that they bring in as a, as contest, uh, 
um, entry fees as opposed to uh, our casinos when you are paying to play, whether it's a, a game of blackjack or poker, uh, there are differences there. Uh, the, 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 the percentage of, of winners uh, and your chance of winning because of if you're just going to pick random players is, is darn near zero. Uh, you, you seriously do have to understand the game. You have to understand the players, who they're playing, where they're playing. Uh, there are so many dif different factors that, that it's not like the roll of a dice. It's not like a, having another card, uh, a deck of cards put on onto a game of blackjack. But this is really the challenge, right? And, 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 and Representative Morrison and, and, and Matt and Jerry all recognize that you know, policy all, all really has to to follow advances in technology, yes. right? And so I think as lawmakers, today you're struggling with, well, well, help me understand, you know, what is skill, what is chance? Technology drives that conversation, and I think rightly, policy has to follow those changes in technology. And you, I mean, I think what, what you're trying to spur is a conversation that does just that. What is this, um, how do we define it in our state? How do we define it nationally? Obviously there's a national debate raging about this as well, um, but it's what policymakers do. And there clearly is a, had been a change of opinion, whether it's through education or whatever, even in the industry. Three, four months ago, you saw the industry saying, effectively, we don't want any regulation at all. They grudgingly, one of your, your clients in the, had a gaming license out of England, the United Kingdom, and that was sort of kicking and screaming. But now everybody's showing up saying, this is a good thing. Why yeah. the change of heart? Well, and the nuance is state by state and country by country. The gaming laws are so different. And so as you go into a state, you're under a different approach completely. And you've got to figure out, within their framework, where do you fit? But now you're willing to embrace a state-by-state -state approach. Is that out of necessity? or is? Uh... Yeah, I think what we want to say is, in, in Indiana, you can do it today. And if we do nothing this session, you'll still be able to do it today. Until a point in time where someone else decides for you. Uh, and so what we want us to do is make sure that the legislature is the policy-making body of Indiana on these issues. And let Representative Morrison and Senator Ford run that charge and say, we're going to protect consumers, we're going to give them a regulatory body to look at, and we're going to make sure people know they can play. And so that's why we do it state by state. And one concession, the industry, at least we're talking as if this is already a fait complete. but one, one thing that's occurred already as a concession as it relates to college and high school sports, which uh, was uh, yeah. the NCAA being based we here in the state was adamant yeah. about. Jerry, again, we, you've talked several times about youth. Are these just... Uh, Changes around the edges, uh, you know, excluding well, high school you know, and college our, betting. Our, our betting. organization exists to you know, be a resource for problem gamblers and their families. So everything we do is to that end, whether it's working with various components of state government, the gaming industry, the treatment providers, uh, GA, Gaminon, you know, all, all of that. We uh, do 30 hours of training each year bringing in uh, you know, the best uh, speakers from around the country to uh, ensure that the uh, counselors at the treatment programs in Indiana and the surrounding state have the most uh, recent and best information available so the quality of services be good. And of course that training and the services you provide, uh, staffing the, uh, the hotline, that takes money. We actually, and we don't staff the ha okay. hotline. You just advertise it? Yeah. Okay, well, this takes money, and you're funded in part from, uh, in part from the, the, the industry itself. You've expressed some concern that you need more money effectively uh, if, in fact, you're going to expand your services to accommodate this, this part of the, uh, whether it's game of skill, game of chance, whatever it is, 
you're going to have more well, people. Well, you, know, you know, the state gets a great deal of, uh, you know, gambling money that is dedicated, in theory, to problem uh, gambling. But the, the state has, uh, you know, moved quite a bit of that money over to uh, alcohol and drug treatment because uh, it's greatly underfunded in Indiana. The alcohol drug treatment, the state money, comes from the gallonage tax on various, uh, you know, liquors. And that tax, I don't believe, has been raised since either 1980 or it's been a long 81. Time. <laughs> you know, you know that, that tax, for some reason, in the legislature never, uh, you know, when they talk about raising the tax on gas, yeah. raising the tax on this, doing a toll road, we never mentioned That's a whole other show. That's, 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 two or, that's two or three shows. <laughs> but you talked about tax revenue. You know, the licensing fee as it stands now would be $5,000. Right. Uh, Florida just enacted, or did, did not enact, just passed a bill that would have a $500,000 fee. Yeah. Why, why so low? Well, th that, what that is, that's barrier to entry for those smaller companies that do daily fantasy sports. So DraftKings and FanDuel, could they afford that? We could probably argue that they, that they could. But those other three dozen companies that are trying to get into this business, why would we want to basically tell them you can't come do business in Indiana? But what do you tell your your members? Uh, you have eight members, of course, and some of whom, the, the Racinos, paid, what, $250 million in licensing fees to be able to put slots at their uh, at their horse track casinos. $250 million, 5000 Aren't they saying, hey, what's fair about that? commas matter a lot in Indiana where we put them this week. Um, I mean, does that sit well with your membership? Uh, so I think our members want to see um, uh, uh, good participants, ones that have been well investigated, ones that have great integrity in the games that they offer. Um, we think that our contributions to the state are very different. You know, we, we don't think that you're going to see a surge in employment from these providers. We don't think that, that daily fantasy sports will be a generator of local economic development in the same way that uh, that Indiana's casino properties have been. Um, so, so our scale is far different, as is our licensing fee. You know, would we like to see more? Absolutely. There are a whole lot of things that we'd like to see more of. But as this discussion evolves, um, I think that that's a consideration that lawmakers are going to have to look at very carefully. How do you balance and barrier to entry? And there is no tax revenue in it now. Again, right. California's bill, it doesn't specify what it would be, but it's a quarterly uh, tax based on gross income. So I guess that's uh, to be determined. I'm, I'm yeah. getting a signal we're almost yeah. out of time. Okay. But, that's but, a hard one to get to. That's another show. Yeah, for, okay, we're going to put that show behind the one we already talked about. Well, Florida's, Quickly, though. Florida's doing legislation, and, uh, you know, they've uh, put a piece in that 7.5% of, uh, you know, the they fees will go to problem gambling. And, you know, we want to see anytime there's an expansion of gambling to, to be a piece for that'll, problem gamblers. It'll be that, interesting. That, that issue is recognized because it's so often not recognized. You don't... You can't tell a problem gambler when you see him. I, I suppose that's true, and, and uh, unfortunately we'll have to leave it there. I, you guys have another uh, two or three shows, and you just left uh, this morning. We'll have to continue uh, in the green room. I appreciate your being here for this uh, lively nice. discussion. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative Alan Morrison of Terre Haute, Matt Bell of the Casino Association of Indiana, Matt Whetstone of the government relations firm 1816 Inc., and Jerry Long of the Indiana Council on Problem Gambling. First they moved my cold medicine off the shelf and put it behind the counter. Now I need the okay from my pharmacist. Come on, I gotta breathe. On the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of Indiana Legislative Insight and its sister newsletter, Indiana Gaming Insight. Ed, anything to add to the roundtable? 
Well, it's interesting that we kind of ended the roundtable on, on tax talk, and I think that when the bill goes back over to the House now, you'll probably see a little bit more discussion of, of an appropriate tax structure. I don't think that, that you can get by with something that, that's quite like what the casinos have to pay with, you know, essentially a 35% uh, kind of uh, average rate, but you're going to see some, some attention towards some kind of taxation if, if they can figure out how to do that within the the national rubric. And you think it would approach it more, again, from that standpoint, uh, from uh, taxation or increasing the licensing registration fees, which, as we pointed out, are 5000 now? Well, I, th I think it would probably be more from the, the tax standpoint. I, th I think the uh, if you remember back to when the, the racinos were licensed for the slot machines, the horse tracks became essentially casinos. That Governor Daniels kept complaining about leaving money on the table, and, and you talked about the $250 million. They also had to make $100 million investments in bricks and mortar. I think you're going to see a lot more attention to those kinds of, of So things. your advice, as always, is follow the money for the rest of the session as it relates to this bill. One other uh, topic that certainly got a lot of attention this week, the apparent demise or withdrawal of uh, the LGBT uh, civil rights legislation. Did you see that coming, and what should we read into it? I don't think anybody saw that coming. I don't even think that uh, Senate President Pro Tem David Long saw that coming, perhaps even the morning that the, the bill was, was kind of withdrawn from debate. You know, he kept saying right up until the day before that they wanted to have debate on the measure, even if it wasn't sure that the bill would pass because he wanted people to have the opportunity to talk about it, kind of a, a cathartic effect, if, if nothing else. But uh, there were a lot of members that didn't want to go on record on that, and I think there was some concern among members of the Senate that if they did advance it to the House, that given the 15, maybe 17 members of the, the House Republican Caucus that supported LGBT uh, anti-discrimination rights, that the bill would end up passing, and that would make life even more uncomfortable for them. So we've, we've got kind of a conundrum Even here. if it had gotten a vote at all, because Brian Bosma, the House Speaker, has suggested that he was not necessarily fond of the bill, or at least the, the timing of the bill. And, and he was also a little skeptical about whether that would come over from the Senate in the first place. And, and Speaker Bosma has made it quite clear, he made it clear the, the day after the, the bill died in the Senate, that um, he, he didn't think it was appropriate for any of these issues to be introduced in the rest of the session in the House as a, a second reading amendment to anything. Help me understand, who are the winners and losers here? I, I, because my interpretation maybe isn't what I'm reading uh, comments about and the reaction from all sides. What are you, what's your take? Well, it seems like the religious conservatives are pleased with the, the outcome um, and the, the factions, the business community and other factions, the LGBT community, are disappointed that they were not recognized specifically in law as a result of, of this thing stalling. But in the longer run, I think that everybody has to, to kind of take note of what Senator Long said, and that's that, hey, if the legislature doesn't act, you know, this is going to happen regardless. Either we're going to be doing this down the road or, even worse, the courts are going to intervene and come up with, with some kinds of solutions that we may not even be happy with on, on either side. So at this point, you know, I, th I think both sides have a, a little bit to be optimistic about and a little bit to be pessimistic about. But more importantly, it, it's going to be a, a political issue for the remainder of the year, and that's probably going to cut um, a little bit worse for Republicans than for Democrats, depending upon the district and the race. And the easiest question I'm going to ask you all year, probably, uh, this bill will be back in some form, some fashion, next session? 
Uh, one would think, but then you know there could be an intervening court action, like we saw with the same-sex marriage amendment, which which kind of negated the, the need for any kind of litigation. Uh, I'm sorry, legislation on that front. I guess it wasn't such an easy question after all. Ed, thanks as always for your insight. Much appreciated. For more information, streaming episodes, and extra content, go to wfyi.org/lawmakers. You can also visit us at wfyi on Facebook and Twitter. Use hashtag Indiana Lawmakers. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Schwannis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues Ed Feigenbaum and Christopher Ayers, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more on the 2016 session. Until next week, take care. The Visual Analytics Law Enforcement Toolkit, or VALET, developed at Purdue University, brings critical data and analytics to police departments instantly, so officers are a step ahead of criminal activity. To learn more, visit otc-prf.org.